0: The first half of the book of Exodus tells the story of ancient Israel being rescued from slavery. And when people say the Exodus story, those are the chapters they're referring to. But the
1: book has a second half where Moses gives the Ten Commandments to Israel along with these instructions
0: about building a sacred tent. And what links these two halves together is this crucial story. The people of Israel, they're out in the middle of nowhere. They find themselves at the foot of this mountain called Sinai. And here, God's presence comes dramatically down in the form of a violent storm cloud. Now, let's stop a second and talk about this concept of God's presence because it's really important for the rest
1: of the book. At the beginning of the Bible, in the garden, of Eden, humanity was in God's presence, they had this close relationship with him and it was good. But humanity rebels and the relationship is fractured and access to God's presence is lost. But God promised Abraham that he would restore his blessing to all of the nations and that includes
0: this restoration of relationship and access to God's presence. So here at Sinai, God's presence is now right here in front of them and it's actually quite frightening. And he's here to invite Israel into this unique and close relationship with him.
1: And the word used to describe this relationship is covenant. It's like a legal agreement between God and Israel. And it's unique because up till now, God hasn't asked Israel to do anything in return, just to trust him. But here on this mountain, God is going to ask Israel to do something a lot of things actually. He gives them a whole set of laws. that It includes the Ten Commandments and if they obey these commandments, they will become the people who will represent God to the nations of the world. Like a priest would. Yeah, in fact, that's what God calls them to become, a kingdom of priests. And this is all connected back to the promise to Abraham that his family would become a blessing to the nations.
0: Okay, but obeying these laws is going to be difficult because there's a lot of them and they set a really high standard. Though if you think about
1: it, I mean, of anybody in the world who should be able to do it, I mean, it's these people who experienced firsthand God's
0: grace and his power when he rescued them from slavery. And, and they agree to obey the terms, but then they refuse to go into God's presence because it's, well, it's still a bit frightening. And since the people won't go up, Moses goes up to the mountain by himself to meet
1: with God. But God still wants to be with all of his people. And so he says, okay, if the people won't come up here to me, I'll come down off this mountain to be with you all. And that's why he orders Moses to build this elaborate tent as a place where God's presence can be among his
0: people. And that's why the next thing we get is seven chapters of extremely detailed architectural blueprints for this tent. It's really, really really long. But every
1: detail is important and has some kind of symbolic value. For example, there's all this Garden of Eden imagery inside the tent. And it's to remind you that when you're in the tent you
0: are in God's presence. Then we get another six chapters describing how they built the tent, which is really just repeating the same blueprints word for word. Now let's back up because before the tent is
1: finished there's this super important story. Moses is coming off the mountain with the Ten Commandments and the blueprints in his hands and he finds Israel breaking the first two commands
0: of the covenant. Don't have any other gods before me and don't worship idol statues.
1: Right, and so here we are immediately after agreeing to the covenant, they're throwing this ritual party, they're worshiping an idol. And so God says to Moses, you know what, this is this is not going to work. I should just wipe these people out and start over with you.
0: But Moses reminds God of his promise to Abraham and pleads with God to spare them, which is a really weird conversation. Why would God need to be reminded of something.
1: Yeah, it does seem odd, but this dialogue is inviting us into God's experience of grief and pain due to Israel's actions, and he really could walk away. But instead, this God
0: chooses faithfulness to his own promises, even though he knows it's going to cost him. So we come to the end of the book. The tabernacle's built, God's presence comes down off the mountain to fill it, and in the final scene, Moses goes to enter the tabernacle to be in God's presence. But he can't. He's actually not able to go inside, and that's how the book ends. Why can't he go in? That was the whole
1: point. So when Israel worshipped the golden calf, it was like a slap in the face to God's faithfulness. And so Moses can't just waltz into the tent like everything's just fine. There's a deeper problem still in this
0: relationship. Will they ever be able to fix the relationship and go into God's presence? Well, that's what the next book, Leviticus, is all about.
2: Good morning. I wanted to, to go back to that. I know we watched that at the beginning of this series, but it's been almost eight months since we saw it, so a little refresher is is good. But so today we're making a transition. Um, the first 19 chapters of Exodus are a narrative story, They're the story of God's deliverance of His people from slavery in Egypt, and then once we get to chapter 20, we make a transition into. Uh, the law and why it's necessary and why it's good and why it's needed and so I wanted us to kind of to be able to take a step back and get the whole scope again of what our our call through this study is and it's for us to be uh, like Moses and Aaron to join God to set people free and I love that they that they highlight in that video the fact that God's desire Um, In all of this is for us to to have that restored relationship that he intended for us in the Garden of Eden and how the people even in that moment are fearful of God's presence and and God is inviting them in and they refuse to go because of fear and so Moses goes on their behalf he goes where the people will not go and so for us as a body of believers as a church that are called to be like Moses to join God in setting people free what that means for us is that a lot of times we have to go where others are unwilling to go, that we have to be in the midst of something that is fearful to others, and, and that can be fearful for us. So today, as we, as we dig into um, the, this chapter 20 of Exodus, I want us to keep that in our mind, that while we are going to look at these laws and what they mean for us, that the ultimate purpose in this is for us to digest that so that we can understand it we can own it and then share that with other people because as we move through these commandments they're heavy and there's a lot of them in fact I was telling Glenn this morning my original intent was that we would do um, all 10 commandments today and then as I really dug into it I said well we'll just do the first four and then as I dug in a little further I realized that today we're only going to do the first one And that's enough for today. So as we get in this, it's easy to get lost in the doctrine. It's easy to get lost in the details. But I want us to keep our minds in the place that um, the purpose of this study for us is to join God in setting people free. And so this word must apply to our lives and it must come out of us in order for us to do that. So let's jump in. I want to remind you that last week we talked about uh, in Exodus chapter 19 when God is trying to present himself to Israel that God, we, we looked at how God calls Moses to, um, to help Israel to prepare for that meeting. And, and how we are called to help people to prepare to know God. That we are called to be personal with those that God has called us to because God was personal with us. We looked at how Moses was used by God to prepare Israel by experience through consecrating them. We applied that concept to the relationships that God has given us and considered the fact that God uses us to prepare those people to experience them. And then we talked about the necessity for authenticity and for vulnerability in our lives and also in the conversations that we have and how those two things usher in being known and and knowing others in a way that is beyond superficial, that's beyond shallow, a way that, that most people don't experience. Uh, and then lastly, we talked about the, the idea that we cannot lead somebody somewhere that we have not been before, that we can't give directions to a place that we have not visited. And and we looked at how, as believers, we cannot join God to to bring people to a freedom that we haven't yet experienced. And so that's where I want to start us with today. I read a devotion yesterday morning, and it's it's Oswald Chamber. If you read it yesterday, this will be... Um, a review for you, but and it's a little bit long, but hang in there with me because I believe that it it really sets the stage for what God wants to communicate today. Oswald said this, he said, the golden rule to follow to obtain spiritual understanding is not one of intellectual pursuit, but one of obedience. If a person wants scientific knowledge, then intellectual curiosity must be his guide. But if he desires knowledge and insight into the teachings of Jesus Christ, He can only obtain it through obedience. If spiritual things seem dark and hidden to me, then I can be sure that there is a point of disobedience somewhere in my life. Intellectual darkness is the result of ignorance, but spiritual darkness is the result of something that I do not intend to obey. No one ever receives a word from God without instantly being put to the test regarding it. We disobey and then we wonder why we are not growing spiritually. Jesus said, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. He is saying in essence, don't say another word to me. First, be obedient by making things right. The teachings of Jesus hit us where we live. We cannot stand as imposters before him for even one second. He instructs us down to the very last detail. The Spirit of God uncovers our spirit of self-vindication and makes us sensitive to things that we have never even thought of before. When Jesus drives something home to you through His Word, don't try to evade it. If you do, you will become a religious imposter. Imagine the things you tend simply to shrug your shoulders about. Examine those things. And where you have refused to be obedient and you will know why you are not growing spiritually. As Jesus said, first go. Even at the risk of being thought of as fanatical, you must obey what God tells you. So, this idea of our obedience, this idea of not being able to lead someone where we have not yet gone, has been with me all week because it's paramount for us. Up into this point in our text it's been a narrative. It's been the story of God freeing Israel, but now the focus is on the covenant that God is making with his people so that he can restore the relationship that he intended for us to have. And so as we look at these commandments today specifically at the first commandment, it is so important for us to understand that if we are not abiding in these commandments, if they are not a part of who we are in our relationship with the Holy Spirit, that we cannot free people. Because if we are not living up to this standard that God has set for us, then we are not representing Him, we are representing something else. So let's look in Exodus chapter 20, we're just going to look at the first three verses today. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery you shall have no other gods before me. So it's not a lot of text today, but there's a lot in there. God is saying this to Moses to repeat to the people. And and as Russ talked about when he he first introduced this book Exodus for us, uh, in our Exodus class he talked about how this verse 2, when God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, that this is a definitive Statement in the Bible because God is making a claim upon his people. He is saying, I have the right to have authority over you because of what I have done for you. This was a a common theme in that culture that when a king would come in and take over a region, he would make a statement like this and say that I am your king, I am your ruler because of these things that I have done. So this language for Israel is very familiar. And God is making a statement to them, but also to us, that He is our God. And as I studied this this week, this is the idea that God brought to my mind. It's this idea that God shares His identity with those who claim Him. By delivering Israel, God tied them to His identity. And when we think of the people of Israel... um, we immediately think of God because of what He's done for them. And and the reverse of that idea is also similar. That from this point forward, anytime anyone in that region mentions the name Yahweh, mentions God, Israel comes to their mind because of the way God has delivered them, because of the things that God has done in their life, they are synonymous with one another. And the same is true for us. As a church, not the gathering place, as the church Globally, When people hear the word Christian, they have an idea that is associated with them about who God is. And the ramifications of that is staggering for us as believers. Consider those ramifications. This idea that, that what we do and what we say tells people about who God is. And it's become very apparent why it is so important to God that we become holy. We talked about last week that the purpose of these commandments is not to give us a list of to-dos, but it's this idea that we are not holy. And the law points that out. Think about this. Have you ever worked, especially if you've been in school recently, or maybe a, a project at work where you've had to work with a team, right? And there may be someone on that team that is not great at something. Maybe it's their communication skills. Maybe it's the way they present things, right? But whether or not that team is successful is dependent upon the actions of each of the individuals in that team. If you've ever been part of a group that had to make a group presentation and you had that one guy who didn't participate at all, you know how that feels, right? Or someone that was trying really hard but just didn't do a great job at it. We all know those feelings. And whether or not that team or that group gets an A, or if they get a call back to come do another job, is dependent upon how each of those individuals perform, right? We understand that. We know what it means to work in a group. Well, as a church, we have that same concept. And, and we are incredibly aware of that right now in the culture that we find ourselves. With all the things that are going on, not just in the Southern Baptist Church, but the church everywhere, there's been a lot of really bad press And it's because mostly of the actions of a few, but it affects us all. And so as we look at these commandments, as we uh, allow the Holy Spirit to examine our lives, it's so important that we allow Him to speak truth into us. How we live individually has a significant impact on how the people around us view us, the church, and ultimately God. Choosing to live in an an unholy way makes God appear to be unholy. And it's not that we desire to live unholy lives, we just have a really hard time of letting go. Letting go of the things that we want, our plans, our desires. But there are so many people in our lives that God has placed there that want nothing to do with the church because of the experiences that they or loved ones have had with the church with experiences that they have had with people who claim the name and have taken on the identity of Christ but have not lived in that identity as we see it in Scripture. Part of our call as a people that's going to join God to set others free is to share the truth about who God is, not just with our words, but with how we live our lives, how we make decisions, the priorities that we set communicates the truth of who God is if we identify our, identify ourselves as followers of Christ but are not obeying his commands we give God the identity of being untrustworthy unreliable and ultimately we make him undesirable have you ever considered that your life identified as a believer could impact the world around you for either good or bad I don't know about you, but that's a heavy weight. And it's important that we consider it. Listen, we all know people in our lives that have caused disgust towards the identity of Christ. Look at it with, in Matthew 23, verses 1 through 15. Jesus addressed such an issue. And Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do they deserve whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do? For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their uh, phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love to place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues. And greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor with Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant, who exalts himself, will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For neither you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you travel across the sea and the land to make a single proselyte. And it, when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice the child of hell as you are. Listen, the way that we live as identifiers of Christ forms the opinions of others about the truth of who God is. Now listen, the Holy Spirit is a lot bigger than we are. And while we make mistakes and we, make, we form opinions in other people's lives, the Holy Spirit is able to overcome that. And I want to recognize that today. But I don't want to downplay how important it is for us as believers to walk daily with the Lord and to represent Christ for who He is. Look, the Pharisees were all about trying to fix everyone else's sins, but they were unwilling to consider their own. And as image bearers of Christ, as, as followers of Christ, we must be holy and we must obey his, his commands because that informs the people in our lives about who God is. That's the handles that they have to hold on with of, of the idea of God. And look, we are all very aware of the fact that we are utterly incapable of either sanctifying or obeying in our own power. We must rely on the power of the Holy Spirit for both our righteousness and the desire for obedience. this fact doesn't negate our need for the law though God needed to set the standard so that we would have a hard and fast understanding of what it means to be in relationship with a holy God the law was necessary it was necessary because God was saying in order to have this relationship you got to live up to this by God identifying himself as our God he requires that we are a holy people Not only does he demand it, but he provides the only way for it to happen. And he gave it to us through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So why does all this matter? If God makes a requirement uh, and then he fulfills it himself, why are we concerned? Why are we even involved? It matters because it reveals to us and to the world the incredible love that God has for his creation. It says to the world, God created us, and then we messed it up, but God loved us enough that he said, look, I know you made a mess of this, but let me fix it because I love you. God remembers, that is the the theme of Exodus, that God remembers his people. He remembers that he created us to enjoy him. And just like we as parents will do anything that is necessary to take care of our children, God has the same view for us. He says, look, it doesn't matter the things that you've done. I love you anyway. God looks at us through the lens of the law, but He also looks at us as believers on this side of the cross through the lens of Jesus. And He says, look, I know you've made mistakes, but my grace covers that. The work of Christ on the cross does that. So, that's verse 2. Verse 3. God says, you shall have no other gods before me. God's preeminence must be recognized. God's preeminence must be recognized. In Near Eastern cultures having many gods was the norm and so by God declaring himself as the only God it would be odd for people in those cultures to have that idea in their mind that there could be only one. And a common misunderstanding for, of, of, that we have of early Israel is that they were monotheistic that they only had this one God for the whole time but Remember, they lived in and around cultures that had many, many gods. They had spent over 400 years in Egypt, which we all know had many, many gods, okay? And so for God to say that I will be your only God was a new concept for many, okay? And, and the idea that, that God would be living alone was, was new for them, Okay? This idea of the monotheism can't be supported as we look at Scripture because there's two primary words that Old Testament writers use that can refer to many different entities. Um, Those words are Elohim and Elam. And those could mean uh, Yahweh, the gods of Yahweh's counsel, the gods of foreign nations, demons, spirits of the dead, people, angels. So for God to draw this line in the sand with Israel and say from this point forward you shall have only one God, was new information for them. It was transformative of how they viewed God and how they viewed the world around them. God is separating Himself from this cultural norm in order to make the distinction between Him being the one and only God versus being one of many man-made gods. Before me literally means to my face, and this is used to describe, this same term is used to describe a man marrying a second wife while the first is still alive. It is to express this idea of the breach of an exclusive relationship, okay? God is not only their creator, but He's also their deliverer and sanctifier, and He desires to have a very personal relationship with each of His people. And so to bring another God before Him is to breach that exclusiveness. Israel is living and sharing this truth about God, puts God in a league of His own, in a world that is full of false gods. So for them to make the claim that He is the one and only God is for them to elevate God above all other gods. So for us, what is the application for us? This very first command of, of God is demanding that, that we and Israel hold Him in his, in his proper place as foremost in our lives. Because we are created beings, we long to worship something. God did not have to tell them first that they needed to worship something and then tell them that he wanted to be that thing that they were worshiping, right? It's in our nature. It's in our DNA to worship. And God is telling us that he is the one to be worshiped, not worshiped first, worshiped exclusively with no exceptions. So the application, okay? Okay. This command not only sets God apart from idols, but it also sets Israel apart from other people. When we say to the people in our lives that the thing that is most important to us is God and God alone, we are setting God, we are elevating Him above the cultural norms that we live in. Because if we think about our culture, if we think about the American dream, if we think about the things that we typically place in importance in our lives, if we're honest for our culture, it's not God. He is not preeminent. God's nature, expressed through His commands and obeyed by His people, reveal a very different life than was the cultural norm. Okay, that's true for Israel, and it's true for us. If, if we're considering joining God, we must consider where we're joining Him to lead people to. And if God is not the most important thing in our lives, what we are leading them to is not God. Are we declaring the nature of God by, about who He is, by the way that we live, by the things that we choose to obey? Do the priorities in our life communicate to the people around us that we have made Him God above all things? Or do the other things in our life, what do we talk about the most? What do we spend our time on? What do we think about? What are the resources that we're using? And how do those communicate what we're worshiping? And, and look, we know that statement's coming, right? We've all, we've heard enough lessons about the Ten Commandments that you know when we talk about God being the most important things in our life that it's going to come down to this, this moment that we've all experienced at some point in camp where the person that's up on the stage is going to say, okay, God's got to be the most important thing in your life. So anything that's not God, you've got to get rid of it. And what that leads to typically is junior high and high school kids throwing away all their secular CDs, all right, right? And then that lasts for about two weeks, and then you get tired of not being able to listen to Kid Rock anymore because Amy Grant is wore out, and you're just going to go right back to it, right? Right, okay? I know most of you have been in a situation like that. Maybe not with music, but maybe with something else. We've heard this so many times before, that God needs to be the most important things in our life. We've said it from this pulpit thousands of times. But what does it take to get us from a place of knowing that we need to put God first in our lives and actually doing it? Because if we're honest, there are a lot of things that take priority in our lives over our relationship with God. And some of those things are good things, but they're not the best thing. If we're honest, as a lot of young parents in the room, sometimes we let sleep be our priority over our time with God. Y'all, I'm guilty of that one. It's hard for me to get up in the mornings. Sometimes we let um, other things that distract us, games or, or whatever, our job, we let those things... Take priority for us. Growing up in the Bible Belt, we've we've heard all these teaching about the Ten Commandments, and I don't know about you, but when I think of the Ten Commandments, my mind immediately goes to Charles Heston. Raise your hand if you don't know who that is. All right, I'll in, I'll introduce you guys. <laughs> 1956 Moses movie. Okay, Charles Heston. That's who that old the old white guy that played Moses. Why doesn't it stick? Why is it so hard for us to live under this commandment? To make God the priority of our lives. Same reason that it's hard for us to live under any of them. Because there's sin in our lives. When we try to fulfill the law under our own power, we always come up short. Which, ironically, is the whole point of the law. It's to say, you can't do it. I can't do it. You can't do it. We feel guilty for falling and then we recommit ourselves to God in order to feel better about ourselves and to, to prove to God that we're better than we are. And we work really hard at it and then we fail and then we feel guilty and we start the cycle all over again. And the whole time God's saying, you're missing it. I didn't write these laws because you could live up to it. I wrote them to, to point out that you can't. And that, that I wanted you to see that there's a problem here. And, and by the way, I, I'm, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to take care of the problem. We cannot fulfill the law on our own. We must allow Christ through the Holy Spirit to both speak and to will us to be obedient to Him. Remember what Oswald said this morning. He said when, when Jesus drives something home to you through His Word, don't try to evade it. If you do, you'll become a religious imposter. Listen, we have enough religious imposters in our world today. We don't need more. And as I've said to you guys before, this is not me preaching to you. God's been preaching this to me all week. I know it's difficult to give things up. I know that it's hard to take the things that we really enjoy because typically that's what we end up worshiping. Right? It's the stuff that's really fun. It's the things that we make priority a lot of times, and it's it's hard to give that stuff up. I'll just be a little authentic and vulnerable for you. For me, one of those things that I really enjoy is gaming. I love y'all. You know, you're gonna laugh at me. Players unknowns battlefield. I love it, and I'm pretty good at it, right? But it consumes me. I can't get enough of it. I go to bed at night and I see scopes in my mind. It's ridiculous. I'm a grown man. Shouldn't be that way. Okay. You're laughing at me. What? Kobe knows what I'm talking about apparently. Look, you can laugh at me and that's good. That's why I said it out loud. But there's something just as ridiculous in your life that you allow to take priority. And so for me, what do I have to do? I have to just get rid of the game. And I'm not going to lie to you. Like, it's tempting to go re-download it. Thankfully, it takes a lot of space and a lot of time to download. So that usually helps me get over it. But at the end of the day, what I need is not a big download to keep me from convincing to download it. What I need is the Holy Spirit in my life saying, well, that's just temporary satisfaction. That's going to leave you unsatisfied and feeling guilty. But I got what you need right here. Through the giving of His commandments, God is freeing Israel from sin so that they can enjoy God. That's what it's all about. At the end of the day, God just wants to have a relationship with us. But that relationship can't happen if we're not putting Him as a priority. We use the example of marriages all the time. It's not much of a marriage if you never spend time with one another. If you're not loving one another. God revealing to you and to I that we what we're slaves to is going to free us to enjoy Him. Those things that Oswald's talking about, that, that as we spend time with the Lord, that He points out and says... Hey, you need to do this or don't do this. God is saying those things because ultimately that is what's best for us. And if we are going to be a people that it's going to be a Moses that's going to join God to set free, set people free, we have to be free. I cannot bring someone to freedom if I am not free. Our church culture has had an obsession with what they thought the law was about. It has been assumed by so many that by focusing on the law, we can become righteous, and that is not the truth. Romans 4, 1 through 5, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works... His wages are not counted as a gift, but His due. And to the one who does not work but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, His faith is counted as righteousness. The law is there simply to show us that we're slaves to something. That there's something in our life that has enslaved us. And before knowing Christ as believers, we were all slaves to sin, slaves to the lie that have been whispered in our ears From the time we were born. The lie that that we can find satisfaction. The lie that we can find joy outside of who God is. God wants to set us free to enjoy the relationship He created us to have, but we'd rather keep living in our own selfishness. We'd rather keep living the lie that whatever we're currently worshiping is going to bring us more joy and contentment than God ever could. We cannot lead people to a freedom that we don't have. God demands that we put Him first in our lives because that is what we were created for. It's the missing piece in our lives that we're always trying to fill with something else. I don't know if I've used this example with you guys before or not, but there's many times as a child that I would get kind of fussed at by my dad and my grandfather about using a tool for a way that it wasn't intended. I have a very good friend who refers often to using a crescent hammer, okay? Some of you are laughing because you know what I'm talking about. For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, a crescent wrench is a thing that you use to loosen and tighten nuts and bolts with. A hammer is something that you use to drive nails or beat on things with, but they don't go together. Can you use a crescent wrench as a hammer? Yes. Will it work well? No. You're going to beat the crescent wrench all to heck, and it probably won't work well as a crescent wrench very long. Okay? Us trying to fill a God-shaped hole with anything other than God is us using a crescent hammer. It's us trying to fix a problem with the wrong kind of tool. We can't do it. It's the Holy Spirit. It's just dumb and lazy to try to use a crescent hammer when you could just walk to your toolbox and get the right one. Right? The freedom that we have experienced here at TGP is a freedom from being slaves to the law that's provided for by God's grace through Jesus. We've understood, like Paul is communicating, that fulfilling the law would only get us our due wage, but God, in His greatness, would rather give us what we don't deserve. God would rather do the work for, for us. Let us enjoy Him for who He is. That's grace. That's unmerited favor. It's God saying, I love you so much, I'm going to do all the work for you. All you need to do is obey me and let me handle it. And by the way, I'm going to give you the desire to do that too. That's freedom. We experience freedom by submitting ourselves to God's command and then relying on Him to bring us into righteousness. We join God to set people free by first living in that freedom ourselves and then inviting people into our lives so they can see the work of God's grace in us and desire that for themselves and then we can share with them how that happened for us. Listen, I cannot tell you how many times a day I'm scrolling through my feed whether it's Facebook or Twitter or whatever and I see an article that I can't even stomach to finish. And I know you know what I'm talking about. Our world is consumed with sin. And some of it is horrific. This idea matters because we are surrounded by people who are in desperate need of God. And the way we choose to live matters to them. They have been lied to, they've been mistreated, abused, and left in hopelessness. And unfortunately the church, and therefore from their perspective God, has been unresponsive at best and enabling at worst of the tragedy in their life. Us putting God above all things matters because those people need hope and we are God's plan for that. And when we spend our lives putting things that are not God in God's place, we are leaving those people out to dry. If we are claiming Christ as our identity but living for ourselves, we are sharing a false gospel. The way we live, the decisions that we make, and the words that we speak uh, are of eternal importance to the people that God has put in our lives. We must allow God to permeate every part of our lives and be preeminent in them. We must allow the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives, and then follow His leading. Christ is the only hope that any of us have. And Christ is certainly the only hope that those that are experiencing tragedy have. When Moses is standing before the people and they are trembling in fear for God, and Moses goes on instead, that is who God is calling us to be. People are fearful of who our culture has communicated that God is. And God is, is asking us as a church, to join Him in showing people by going in advance that He is a good God, that He cares, and that they matter to Him. God makes this statement in the beginning of this chapter. He says, I am your God, and you will be My people. Let me read that so I might get it right. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. There are people that are enslaved all around us. Both literally and in theory. They're slaves to sin. They're slaves to a lot of things. I'm not going to say out loud because there's kids in the room. But listen. God in us, Christ in us is their hope. And if we are not daily submitting ourselves to Christ and allowing Him to work in us, we are communicating that God doesn't care to them. If God has put someone in your life, there is a reason for that. You have a responsibility and a role in that. I can't define that for you. Only the Holy Spirit can. But if we are going to be a Moses and an Aaron in people's lives, God has to be first. He has to be first for us. Let's pray. God, it's daunting to think that so much relies on our obedience. And, and God, it doesn't, doesn't need to feel that way. God, we need to understand as a body of believers that You are the one that's going to both will and work through us. All we need to do, God, is just submit ourselves to You. That when You speak, we obey. Whatever it is, no matter what the cost is going to be, that God, that we would say to you and to those around us that you are more important than anything else in our lives. It's only through putting you first that we're going to have any hope of setting people free. God, I just I ask that this week that as we spend time with you, God, that you would give us a greater desire for that. Lord, that as we get before you, Lord, that you would speak truth in our lives, that you would reveal the areas where we need to make changes. And God, that you would use us as a people who love you to show your love and to share your love with those that you've put in our life. God, help that to be our priority. Make it our priority.